Welcome to the Chocolife Podcast. Today on the Chocolife Podcast, my guest is Douglas McMeekin, who started a nonprofit as well as a for-profit kind of combined business in the Amazon of Ecuador. Welcome, Douglas. Thank you very much. So I know that I went to visit you and was incredibly impressed. And how I found you first was I asked a friend who'd been down in the in the Amazon to tell me about lodges that were doing amazing things. And he said, you've got to meet Douglas. He is the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> and that was for certain. And when I went down there in 2006, um, you had started a high school in the Amazon, the first of its kind. Do you want to tell me a little bit about how you started Yachana, what what it took to get this going? Because you have an incredible story moving from the U.S. originally to work in the oil industry and then coming around That's, to start this amazing foundation. Yeah. In 1986, uh, as a result of the recession in the U.S., I went bankrupt. Um, and for me, it was an opportunity to start all over again in my 40s. And so I went actually in 84 to visit friends in Ecuador, didn't speak Spanish, went back to study Spanish for part of 84 and 85. And then I moved to Ecuador in 1986, working for an oil company as an environmental and cultural consultant. Uh, being an entrepreneur by nature, uh, after a couple of months, another oil company called me and asked if I would help them, and then another one, and so I uh, decided to set up a business as a, a consulting company to work with ultimately eight different companies in environmental and cultural issues. I did that for six years, and it was an opportunity to really get to know the Amazon, because virtually all the oil exploration in Ecuador is in the Amazon region, and also to get to know the people. And I was frustrated in how uh, the companies were dealing with the people. Um, and so for that reason, I decided to leave that work and set up the foundation, which I did in 1991. And our first contract was in 1992, working in building schools and doing teacher training with the Ministry of Education on the upper Napo region, which is where you visited, Ingrid, when you were there. Uh, for, so from basically 1992 until today, I've been living in this, uh, when I first moved, very remote. It's not so remote today, but a very remote region of the Amazon on the Napo River. When you say remote, just to explain how to get to Yachana, you go from Quito, the capital of Ecuador, at 9,200 feet above sea level over the Andes in a 30-minute flight that takes you down to the Amazon. It's a roller coaster. And then you get to Coca, which is a small oil town that's a bit like the Wild West. And then you'd get into a Jeep, which will take you to the Napo River. And then it's a two and a half hour motorized canoe ride to the lodge. It's a beautiful, amazing adventure to get there. So back to your story. It's a little bit more complicated almost because you came from working for the oil companies to realizing that you needed to move into helping the people more. But did you start your foundation as a nonprofit or did you start it as a consulting business just on your own? No, the, the, the consulting business was a for-profit business. Mm -hmm. I started the foundation uh, as a foundation to work in education. And so that was the the idea from the very beginning when I set up the foundation in 91. And so that's the mission we've been on. We've taken sidetracks in helping in income generation and working with cacao. Uh, we built a clinic. We've built a number of schools. Uh, we've done a lot of different things, 
but the the central focus has been in education. And that was what ultimately led me to start a high school in 2005. Um, it was a boarding school because it was so remote. Kids couldn't come and go daily. It was from kids from the Amazon. And I, and my whole philosophy is learn by doing, uh, practical experience, and we had incredible, incredible success. Um, the students loved it. They learned. They learned English. They learned practical things, but they didn't meet every single letter of the curriculum of the government. And at the end, two reasons: one, the government offered to help fund teacher salaries, which they never did. And secondly, they wanted us to conform to their curriculum to, to, to the letter. Uh, it, it didn't make any sense for us to continue to try to struggle to raise the funds to keep the, to keep the school going. So in July of 2013, we graduated our last class. And, but that hadn't gotten me out of the, of the education field. And so we have built a training center, which is designed for providing shorter courses. A high school, you have to provide three consecutive years. So it's a, it's a much more complex system. But in this case, the training center is, is uh, for short courses, for, is for adults from 15 years old and up. Um, and so it, we have a lot more flexibility and, and, and things that we, can, that we can work on. So that's what we're doing now. Right, and just to go back a little bit to the high school, that was, was that the first of its kind where you actually had a boarding school and you were offering a curriculum that provided sustainable development courses, English, uh, to these kids that were from really remote parts of the Amazon? Very remote and very poor. And the reason, uh, you know, if our, if our school had been built in the city and our, our clientele were kids of rich parents, uh, we would have, <laughs> it wouldn't have been any problem. But that's not what we were trying to do. And, and uh, so, as I said, the results we had were incredible. But we just had to face reality. But that hadn't gotten us out of training. And so we take, you know, we step back one way and go in a different direction. And, and, and that's, what we've, that's what we're doing now. Well, and certainly I'm sure you've had to be incredibly flexible uh, working and living in a place uh, like the Amazon in Ecuador. So just to get back to, how did you raise the funding to even start the foundation in 91? I came to Ecuador bankrupt uh, with nothing. And as I said, I worked for eight different oil companies. Um, I had a successful business in my work with them and made money. And that's where I raised initial capital to to build and start the foundation. When you started it, you did you also start the lodge uh, as well at the same time? Not exactly the same time, but a couple of years later, I started the foundation, started working in the region on the Napo in 92. In 95, um, I opened um, or built and opened in January of 95, yet Chana Lodge, uh, as a way of helping to sustain or guarantee the sustainability of the foundation. I've seen too many foundations come and go for lack of any kind of, 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 of 
sustainable income, source of income. Right. So, yeah, that was a, a for-profit business that was helping to sustain your nonprofit sector. Right. And how has it been starting a foundation and um, a business in another country? And especially one <laughs> that, it, that doesn't have a lot of infrastructure like Ecuador. Like, I was stunned how little infrastructure there is for almost anything there, although I'm sure it's improved a bit. It's improved. Improved a lot, and this president has done a lot, uh, a lot, a lot more roads that are built. The roads that are built, many of them are paved now. Um, so there's a lot more infrastructure, but still, everything's relative. A lot more infrastructure. We're still hours from the nearest town, um, and we now have uh, we've rebuilt a new lodge that just opened in January of this year. Still, Yachana Lodge but new facilities, it's within our 2,500-acre reserve, and it's accessible both by river and by road. So it's different than what we had before. Right, before it was basically by um, powered canoe up the river? By just by, yeah, just by river. Right. And, and starting a business or a foundation in this country is... is, is you just do it. I mean, there are rules and regulations and things you have to do. And if you get if you get stressed out by those things, you better not live here. Um, <laughs> it's just you follow the, you fill in the blocks and go ahead and do it. Well, did it take, though, you having any particular connections or special connections with the government to get it going? Did you have to be a trusted member of sort of society? And um, could you have done it just moving down there and starting one? What do you think about uh, that? Well, no, I, I didn't have any special connections. Um, it, as long as you're willing to go through the, jump through the hoops and the stuff that you have to do, it's, it's not overly daunting. Um, I've been living here now a long time. I'd already been here a number of years. I've been running a business, the consulting company. So I pretty well knew how, how you get things done and, uh, there you get professionals to help you in legal accounting, whatever, and you just make it happen. Mm -hmm. Right. I think I think some people forget that sometimes they <laughs> they look at the the entire task and they think, uh, I, well, it's fine for you, but I could never do it. But what you're saying is basically you just do it. You find out what you need to do and you do it. Right. And through the years, just has it changed though? Sort of. Um, how you work with the government, um, because it sounds like they're a bit more involved than they were, or is that not the case? No, we work very closely with the government, with the with different ministries, uh, Ministry of Education, Ministry of Tourism, and others, and and very good relationships. Uh, so and very positive. We have contracts working with the government now in training, and so you know we have a very good relationship. The government. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your different programs that you have um, on your nonprofit side first? Okay, let me briefly explain some of the the changes that have taken place in the last year and a half. Um, the lodge, Ingrid, that you visited in 2006 was on the south side of the river, accessible only by canoe, and uh, a year and a half ago, an organization out of Canada offered to buy the infrastructure 
not the name, the infrastructure, and the land that that infrastructure was sitting on. And I took this as an opportunity to basically start over again because we were already facing uh, the closure of the high school and a lot of changes were taking place. And so uh, the, or the foundation is called Free the Children Foundation, very good one. And they purchased the infrastructure and then they also made a major donation to our foundation for allow us to finish building our, all the infrastructure that we now have for our training facility. Part of that, part of that infrastructure is the new lodge, but it is a hotel school. And in this country, there are not even any universities that have their own hotel. Facilities in the jungle for kids that don't have a lot of resources that have a world-class uh, hotel in the jungle, ecotourism lodge, that is used as a training facility. Uh, we are working, at, just as an example, at this moment, uh, a number of young people are coming through in a program we're doing with the Ministry of Education, and we're taking them all to the lodge, we take them into the rooms, we show them the details of how we fold the towels so they look like swans or turtles or whatever. The students were fascinated, and then they, they had a chance to practice and, and to do these things, but they said, who, what owner of a hotel would ever open the doors and allow young people to come in and, and, and be a part of what they're doing? And that's our whole thing. Right. So we've built a new lodge. It's a beautiful lodge, but the whole focus is as a hotel school. We've also built, built our training center, which is focused at this moment on gastronomy and food management uh, computers, we've got an incredible computer lab, uh, English instruction, a lot of different things that we're offering in short, shorter courses, but not that we're, where we're locked into a government curriculum for three years as we were with a high school. And are your students still from all over the Amazon and, and so they have room and board when they come to take the training courses? Yes, that's correct. And how do you find your students? Well, they're finding us. <laughs> there's, there's a huge demand, a tremendous demand, because unfortunately the public education is built too much on theory, on rote memory, where a student listens, uh, doesn't matter what he's listening to is correct or not, but listens and then regurgitates it and gets a good grade. Um, so we're giving them... Uh, practical practical things that are fun, that are different, that help open their eyes. The, the thing that, that we're trying to do is, that what I keep saying is we're getting the, we want the kids to ask why. If you can get a young person to ask why, then you can go into some of the theory and explain and, 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 and show all of that. But all too often, and the Public schools, uh, they don't go into They don't get why. They just start telling them the theory, drawing stuff on a blackboard, and, and that's it. And right. so a young person doesn't learn that way. So essentially, you're teaching them how to think for themselves and how to question, which is the most important skill you can have. Right. A critical thinking, which is lacking in the education system here. Um, I mean, just as a, as a very brief example, 
we we're working with a bunch of kids, about 95% of them are indigenous from communities that are way, way in jungle. Um, they all, they all have flashlights. They all use battery. The batteries are everywhere, but what's a battery? How does a battery work? And so we took two little fine wires and soldered them to an led bulb and we put the wire, then I put a, because Ecuador uses the U.S. currency. So we use U.S. pennies, which are copper. So you have a wire, then you put the penny on it, then you put a little piece of paper that's been soaked in vinegar, then a piece of foil, another penny, and you stack up till you get around seven or eight cents high, and you have three volts, and the light comes on. Um, I mean, you cannot imagine the pleasure, the feeling that these young people had when you know, they did this and some of the pennies fell over. You know, it, it was not easy. But then, damn, the light comes on. Right. Um, <laughs> the science you know, of discovery. <laughs> the science of discovery. And it just simplified what's a battery. Because a battery is a hocus-pocus thing. You buy it, you stick it in or whatever, and it works. But what is a battery? Right. And now they have a beginning, you know, okay, now what is it? And so they can understand, begin to understand. That's just a very brief example. Right, and then the other thing is, you ha do all of them speak Spanish, though, that come from these remote yes. areas? Okay. They all speak Spanish, but that's their second language, and right. that's also a challenge, uh, because many of them, for instance, we had some that didn't know what vinegar was. They never used vinegar. They never bought a bottle of vinegar. Um, so we had to show them a bottle of vinegar and said, you can go and buy it. And, uh, so... They all speak Spanish, but in some cases, their vocabulary is somewhat limited. Right. So, I mean, that just gives a concrete example of sort of the level of what you're dealing with to kind of just open up their whole world. I mean, there's so much you can show just by having them there. And then where do they tend to go after they go to your training courses? Well, at this moment, going back to their, their communities, uh, we've got, we've already conducted one training course of native guides. We've got another one coming up shortly. Uh, that, through that course, they get a license from the Ministry of Tourism and from us, a certification from us, and so they can get a, get a job as a guide. Uh, we've got other, other courses that are in the pipeline, so some of these courses are to allow people to get work or to better prepare them. Others are just sort of general uh, information. Computers you know, everybody needs to know how to use a computer today. Right. Uh, and so. And what, tell me, what about some of your, from your high school, can you tell me where some of those kids have ended up? Because you did have a 10-year run of that. What are some of your graduates doing from that school? Virtually all of them have work. Uh, many of them are in the best positions in different places, whether they be in ecotourism lodges or competition. The The, the owner of a Major, uh, another major lodge said that the finest guides and employees have all come from Yachana. Wow. Um, we've got two who are in probably one of the finest universities here in Quito. Um, we've got others. One's in a school for a year. He'll come back in June in Texas. So uh, they're, because what people are looking for is young people who know how to do something and who, as you said a moment ago, who, who can think for themselves. And what about, do you still have the Spanish school? No, we're not doing that now. There's so much competition with everybody else offering Spanish. That's, that's not our, our focus at the moment.
Right. And what about having people come down to work there or teach? That is very much a possibility, and even in some cases more so now than before, um, because we need uh, volunteers. Uh, one of the things that we're hoping to get started, which we're, we're working on the planning right now, is a, a English immersion program, which would be this summer, where uh, students would come and uh, be able to to spend two weeks in, a, in the boarding facility and just be immersed with English. And so we need English-speaking volunteers. But it's a help if they speak some Spanish. And that's, unfortunately, one of the things, I, one of the limitations we, we have. A lot, of, a lot of people want to come and help, but they don't speak a word of Spanish. And it's just harder for us because, as you know, every, everything here is in Spanish. Right. And how do you go about getting uh, money for the school? Where do your donors come from, and, and how have you been able to uh, sustain the funding through the years? It's we rely part on donations. We have a nonprofit, a five hundred one c three in the U.S., which is a tremendous help. Um, and but the the change in the program today that we have before, in comparison to the high school, the high school. The kids were so poor, they couldn't afford to pay for anything. But we're now looking for funding uh, to allow us to do some of the programs that we're doing. And so we're, we're not out to make money, but we have to cover our expenses. And so we're getting some support. Uh, we've got the, the program we're going right now with these kids that we're working with, like with the batteries, is, is funded through the Inter-American Development Bank. Uh, that's up through the end of June. Um, and we're looking for developing other funding and, and, and for donations. Mm -hmm. Do you write grants and that type of thing, or do you... Um... Yeah, I spend a lot of time <laughs> writing grants. Right, every and, nonprofit's, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you, a few, you get a few, you, don't, you, get, you don't, don't get a lot, but you, you get a few. And I'm curious, so you, you know, obviously started out as an American going down to Ecuador. Tell me a little bit about sort of what were the true inspirations for starting this? Because like you said, you, um, you were starting out all over again, but what actually started this idea that you were going to stay there for years and start this foundation? Because nobody starts out in another country without the idea that, I mean, they're going to do it for a while. Well, it, it didn't start out that way. Oh. I had a... I had a contract for six months, and, you know, I moved down here. I left my car in my mother's garage, and, you know, it was, uh, I came for six months. And this is how life is. We don't always plan how things are going to go. And after two or three months, as I said, I started seeing opportunities and uh, being an entrepreneur and liking challenges. I said, what the hell? Um, I'll stay a little longer, you know, and, and a little longer now, 28 years. <laughs> right. um, this is home. Um, I have no plans or desire to go back to the United States. Uh, so it's, it, it, it was not a, I came for a long time to make this happen. It was, it, it evolved. One of the things, Ingrid, I just would like to mention, I'm 71 and uh, a lot of people, uh, I find a lot of people in my generation have retired, and they're sort of saying, well, now what do I do? And I would just, for any of your listeners who are in the retirement bracket, um, 
I just want to say that I'm going as hard as I've ever gone. And, and there's incredible opportunities. And it's one of the markets that I'm looking for. If, if, if I could find retired people who do speak Spanish, and there are many, yes. who have different skills, who would be interested in coming down, spending some time, um, it's, it's an opportunity that where they can give back because you would be surprised how many people say to me in my generation, boy, you're lucky because I've, <laughs> I'm certainly not sitting around wondering what to do. It's, uh, it's, I'm going full bore, but, uh, you know, I just mentioned that because it, it's an opportunity if people meet that profile. Oh, I love that because I think so many people think that this is too crazy an idea when they're of your age and and you are when I went down there you were working as hard as anyone and I would think that it gives you more energy more passion and why wouldn't you yes it does and better health and everything I mean it's a um, I've got stress I'm not going to say that I've got right. stress. but um, you know it's mostly financial related uh, but uh, you know that's if you don't want stress, die. Um, you know, it's, it's life. That's it's life. It comes with. It. All right. Well, honestly, I think that is the most important thing to take away. Is is just uh, if you have a passion to go for it, do it. Don't think about your age. That's something I talked to someone else who uh, did the Peace Corps. She said. Retired people are doing that as well. You don't have mm -hmm. to, you know, go move next to the golf course. I mean, you're right. doing amazing things that are going to are reverberating throughout the country of Ecuador. I was amazed when I saw what you were doing. And one person, you just started this alone, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Still <laughs> pretty much alone, but that's <laughs> uh, another challenge. We won't go into that right now. <laughs> Well, Douglas, I just have to say, uh, you give me inspiration. Thanks for what you're doing for Ecuador, for the people down there, and please continue to keep that up. And for our listeners, there are opportunities to volunteer. If you speak Spanish, um, help Douglas out. This is, I can't say enough about what he's doing down there for the people of the Amazon. Ingrid, thank you very much. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, my email is Douglas the at sign, and then the name of our foundation is Yachana, Y-A-C-H-A-N-A -A dot O-R-G dot E-C, which stands for Ecuador. Perfect. Thank you, Douglas. Thank you.